This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses' work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we are discussing Oscar winner and French acting legend Juliette Binoche. Andrew, Ooh. run down the history. Juliette Binoche was born in Paris in 1964. She began acting in school productions uh, while she was at boarding school in her childhood and teenage years. Uh, her supporting role in Jean-Luc Godard's Hail Mary and Jacques Doyon's Family Life rocketed her to stardom in the late 80s. Uh, her English debut came with The Unbearable Lightness of Being in 1988, when she co-starred with Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, she's won an Oscar, a BAFTA, a César, and the European Triple Crown of Venice, Berlin and Cannes Awards. Uh, she's best known for The English Patient, Chocolat, as well as Michael Haneke's Cachet. She is also a dancer and artist and is well known for her activism and work with Reporters Without Borders, as well as migrant rights in France. I think we've got to address the elephant in the room. We're back in the studio. We're back in the studio. First time since back, Michelle Yeoh. Back, back in the New York groove. <laughs> it just feels good. It does, it? yeah. It feels good to be so far apart and yet still in the same room. Exactly. Yeah, we are two meters apart, yeah, we should yeah. say. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk as well about um, the reasons for picking Binoche to cover because... It might be a weird choice, given she has given an Oscar. Given that she's a superstar. <laughs> yeah, she's France's most famous actress and um, has been in a lot of massive Hollywood movies and mm. big roles. But um, I do think that any actor, right, English isn't their first language, um, they do tend to get often get pigeonholed in Hollywood in a, in a similar way to character actors because they're foreign. Their characters have to be foreign. Yeah. Uh, not unlike Michelle Yeoh, who we've covered. And um, most of Benoche's biggest roles in Hollywood are these lavish... Um, you know, epic period dramas that take place in multiple countries and have parts that benefit from having non-American or English actors in them. Yeah, and uh, also I think she's one of these people who has sort of used her mainstream access to uh, basically enable her to work with uh, any filmmaker she desires all over the world. Like I have the list of directors here. Like she worked with Abbas Kurstami twice, Abel Ferrara, our old friend, friend of the uh-huh. pod, uh, Bruno Dumont twice, Claire Denis twice, David Cronenberg. And um, often to work with these people, she will take a smaller role, you know, a less starry part. Uh, but her name, I imagine, is enough to, you know, generate investors or give projects. That enough extra... to do gangbusters in France. Yeah, and like that extra air of credibility. And then also, maybe more, most importantly, uh, the Arte streaming service movie, which we're big fans of. Um, mm. It's part of their recently added movie library, have a strand devoted to Benoche titled The Woman with a Thousand Faces. And there's five recent Banache movies there. And I thought, you know, what better excuse to dive into her career than that? And plus, we love movie. Like, they gave us some great movies this year, like Emma and The Wild Goose Lake. And they've released Portrait of a Lady on Fire on streaming. So it's a, it's a cool service. Yeah, say no more until they start paying us for it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so will we talk about um, Unbearable Lightness of Being? Yeah, sure. Yeah, her English debut. Yeah. I can't bear this lightness, this freedom. I'm not strong enough. I'm weak. I'm going back to the country of the weak. She plays um, Teresa, who is a young photographer in Czechoslovakia who falls for the surgeon Thomas, who's played by Daniel Day-Lewis, in Prague in 1968. I wasn't a big fan of this movie, because mo- mostly because no romance movie should be over two hours long. Um, I did like it a lot but I, I I have some issues with it, but it's less to do with the movie itself and more like the way these types of movies were made back in the day mm-hmm. because like this wouldn't be a movie now. 
Yeah. Like, this would go straight to Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> the TV show. Like they normal people. This. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's very low concept. There isn't really a lot of plot. Yeah. It's very freewheeling. Mm. And, um, you know, also the thing about having actors speaking in an Eastern European accent as yeah. opposed to doing the Chernobyl thing yeah, yeah. of getting the actors to just speak in their normal accents yeah. and then just have it be in the yeah. area it's at. Or, you know, get Czech actors from the Czech Republic. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's just, if it, it ends up coming across a little bit like that episode of the IT crowd where Jen's in the smoking area. It's like, when will this get to sober oh, with yeah. and kill us? You know, like that. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I did enjoy it a lot. I just kind of, like, vibe cinema. I guess, yeah. Yeah, it's... I got bad vibe cinema <laughs> off it, though. Um, I don't know. Like, it's a type, It's a kind of time and place I've never seen before in a movie because, like, it's Prague in the 60s is still yeah. under communist you know, dictatorship. Yeah, but, but it's kind of more bohemian. Yeah, and it's a little bit hippie yeah. There's a like, kind of free love vibe going around. There's, uh, like, there isn't such a big control over media. Like, Inna Thomas publishes some writings yeah. and, you know, everyone's like, yeah, publish them. Yeah, It'll be yeah. great, you know? Um, so I did I did like that about it. And I, and I think, you know, in terms of Benash, I don't think it's as technically strong as her work in something like The English Patient, yeah. which I watched for this. Um, like sometimes she can be a little too big or a little too like literal. Like there's the scene where she's having the nightmare and she keeps like slapping her head. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's it, it can be it's a little too kind of raw. Yeah. But like I think for the most part she's very good and I I think she's well cast because she has a real youthful vigor and yeah. a real like eager energy. Like I want you to love me, and and I think it's telling. It's Panache's English language debut and it's kind of her shot at the big leagues and I think that vibe fits the character because. It's this young woman who wants to leave her boring country village behind and move to the city and hang out with, you know, Thomas and his bohemian friends. And, you know, she's very attracted to that sort of life. And there's that scene where she and Thomas first meet in the bar, which I really enjoy. Uh, She's working there and he asks for his drink to be billed to his room. And she's like, oh, your room is six. How funny. I get off work at six. (laughs) And... It's very charming and seductive, but you also get the sense that like she's trying to be charming and seductive. Yeah, yeah. And he playfully sort of rebuffs her and like the whole facade drops and he just like has her in his hand. Yeah. And they have that dynamic for the whole movie then. Yeah. But then also like it's kind of getting into the sort of meteor stuff that Benash will do later in her career where it's her character get it could becomes a little bit darker because like she She's sick of his womanizing. (laughs) Yeah, she wants a different life to Thomas. Like, like the dancing and the art and all this stuff is fun to an extent, but she sort of wants to have a... Something a bit more settled down. Yeah, and Thomas can't give her that because he wants to be light. He doesn't want to be weighed down. Same with, um, you know, Olin's character, Sabrina. Yeah. And um, I think all that stuff is really, like, upsetting to watch because you you see Benoit blame herself. Mm-hmm for yeah. that and like she she tries to do more things to fit into Thomas's world like she does that nude modeling session with Sabrina she tries to have a, an affair with the really young Stan Skarsgård yeah. youngest I've ever seen Stan yeah. looking like a real mix of Bill and Alexander yeah. with with colour in his hair exactly and, face. and uh, that doesn't work out probably because he was maybe a spy mm. question mark and who knows I think kind of her arc in the movie is basically her finding herself and kind of realising that uh, it's not her fault that Thomas is like this, but that they can learn to sort of uh, love each other without all the jealousy yeah. and accept each other for who they are. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't, I, I did enjoy it overall, and it was kind of fun to just like really dive into a world, yeah, that was different to my own for three hours, especially during the lockdown. But it is very long, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're trying to cram movies for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. 
like three hours on this oh god yeah yeah then your thoughts you, did you like Benash in the movie yeah I liked Benash I, she reminded me a lot of um, maybe it was just the hair, the haircut but she reminded me of like Natalie Portman in Leon the Professional or uh, to go older Anna Karenina in those kind v- of those kind Viva of Sevilla. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Viva Sevilla. those kind of not childish but characters that young women that look like children always put me off especially when they were paired with someone like Daniel Day-Lewis who was obviously a man and not like a boyish looking man he's like this lanky six foot dominating presence and you're like ooh not sure I like where this dynamic is going but in fairness the dynamic does go somewhere I think in the beginning of the movie she definitely feels sort of like a, an ingenue mm. but then I think to the strength of the movie and to her performance is she, it kind of does get into some meteor stuff mm. it just takes a while to get there it's <laughs> <laughs> ingenue <laughs> me, me, me. Um, Charlene's going to cut that out <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and then also Roger Ebert called her the heart of the movie and I, I think that's I'd, true I'd yeah. agree because like yeah. while the other main characters defining characteristics is how little they care for people <laughs> <You know? laughs> she's the opposite like all she wants to do is is to be cared for the way she cares yeah you know exactly yeah um and then after that like eight years later she's the english patient and i think already there you start to see you know those kinks in the performance be ironed out and yeah. it's a a lot more of a confident performance and it's a similar sort of epic type of movie a very long movie i think it's almost three hours as well Oof. I would kill for a studio to make like a romantic epic this weird now one where the main character is a disfigured beyond recognition burn victim one which features Willem Dafoe hunting down the men who cut off his thumbs one where someone murder suicides himself and his wife via biplane <laughs> like it's a cool movie so you can shoot a pistol no do you have a problem with those no well, I should look at them before you go. Look, it's a big place. We needn't disturb each other. I'll sleep in the stable. It doesn't matter where I sleep. I don't sleep. I don't know what Mary told you about me, but I don't need company. I don't need to be looked after. <laughs> the movie sort of starts with uh, Menashe's character, Hannah, who's this uh, French-Canadian nurse in the final days of the Italian campaign of World War II. Like, it begins a little bit earlier than that with Bray Fiennes' character, but it's it's sort of, she's the kind of the way into the story. Um, and early on, we see that she's this kind of warm, kind person. All her patients really like her. She cares for them. That says she's becoming hardened by the war. Like in her introductory scene, we find out someone close to her has died in the fighting. Meanwhile, her best friend subsequently is exploded after driving over a mine. And, she, you know, she talks about being cursed and that anyone who loves her or gets close to her dies. And her and her squad are transporting those injured, including this burned, scarred soldier with amnesia played by Ray Fiennes. However, it hurts to move him, so she decides to hold up in this abandoned, bombed-out library nearby and take care of him. And as they stay there, they're joined by uh, a weird fellow Canadian, played by Willem Dafoe. And we start to learn more about the mysterious English patient's past. And uh, it's such a gorgeous movie. Like It has like that epic sweep of like David Lean, which takes and it goes from like Italy to the Sahara Desert, but it's also mixed with this tragic, doomed romance for the ages between Ray Fiennes and Christian Scott Thomas. And uh, Benasha's arc in the movie kind of serves as a little side narrative to that. Like she falls for this um, chic bomb disposer played by Naveen Andrews, who people may know as Saeed from Lost. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's working in the area, kind of sweeping for mines. And she fears getting too emotionally attached to him because she's already lost so many people in the war and his job is so dangerous. And, um, yeah, as I said, like a couple of years more working in the English language and she already seems like a lot more refined as a performer, yeah. like 
for one thing in this movie you don't get the Meg Ryan as a helicopter pilot <laughs> thing you know like there's a there's a real like lived in physicality to mm. her in the movie like the way she moves tells you a lot about her character like she closes doors with her feet she carries loads of things in her hands at all times uh, at one point she cuts her own hair without even like appearing to pay attention to what she's doing like she's she's not like the dainty sort of bookish Teresa yeah, yeah. in Unbearable Lightness of Being like she's very take charge and practical and you buy her as a nurse yeah. you enter the war to help people but like you know the death and the suffering has taken its toll on her and she also gets this uh really romantic scene where her and naveen andrews uh, enter this gorgeous abandoned church and he rigs her up on a rope with a flare in her hand to gaze at all like the amazing artwork there's these beautiful shots of her wide-eyed and smiling and all through the smoke and twirling in the air uh, you know with the light of the flare kind of around her and the, the um, orchestral music yeah. is just like swelling and she comes down and she says oh thank you and the scene in the delivery you just understand how much it means to yeah, it's so good yeah. you can't help but like well up in like joy yeah and um, she also shares the film's closing narration with Christian Scott Thomas as she reads from um, a letter um, Thomas's character has written and while I don't want to spoil things but for Thomas's character the words have a sort of elegiac quality like yeah. she says like we die we die rich with lovers and tribes tastes as we have swallowed bodies we've entered and swum up like rivers and there's, but there's a sense that for Pinochet's character, those words can linger on and will inspire her to seize the day yeah. and maybe, you know, reunite with her love who she maybe had, you know, abandoned because she was scared of getting hurt again. Yeah. And uh, Pinochet uh, nabbed the best supporting actress for this. And it's it's kind of a supporting performance where it's like, a, it's actually a supporting performance. Yeah. It's not just a lead performance running in supporting like, yeah, someone yeah. like, you know, Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Yeah. Not Al like, Pacino in The Irishman. Yeah, I was thinking more Viola Davis and Fences, which love Viola Davis, friend of the podcast. Mm. But, you know, like she's the lead. In friend that of the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so then will we talk about Cache, I suppose? Yeah. She plays Anne, the wife of George, uh, who's being terrorized by surveillance tapes and crude drawings in the mail. And it's got all of these things to do with guilt from your childhood uh, not your childhood specifically but Daniel's <laughs> childhood um, childhood guilt and horrible things we've done in the past coming back to haunt our present and sort of the sins of France yeah essentially yeah, yeah 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 it, that movie is skin crawling yeah it is really genuinely terrifying yeah. um there's something about surveillance that's always really creepy in movies mm. and um, like I always think of like David Lynch like Lost Highway or there's a Nick Rinding Refn movie called Fear X which also is like a lot of creepy surveillance footage in it. it's just always something that the idea of being watched yeah and the sort of like and not knowing it yeah you're like yeah. and um, it's a very scary movie because I think part of what's so scary about it is you sort of never really exactly know the full deal of what is happening yeah. but it's sort of more about what that situation does to the characters yeah. and that's really where it gets really dramatic and very interesting yeah. um, and I think Benash is, is very good in the movie it's more a sort of story about Daniel O'Toole's character yeah, pretty much yeah. and Benash's character is more is, is sort of just a wife character but, yeah. I, but I think it's one, it's an example of her working with a director who she must have been a big fan of which it's yeah. Michael Haneke who yeah, made Funny Games it's the second time she worked with him isn't it it's a yeah but it's kind of an example of her working with um one of like a big director and yeah. like lending her star power to yeah. like get a project funded she does get that great scene with uh george where he won't tell her what's going on like what's going on with the videotapes they've been receiving in the mail or the the drawings and uh they have this big blow up argument about it because she's like how can you not trust me with this our family is in danger and he's like oh i'll sort it out when i get home 
and then he goes and threatens uh, a man he who he disadvantaged when he was a child. Yeah, really horrible scene. I I, I say a couple of scenes I remember from Cache. I remember um, that George is very famous and successful because he hosts a TV show about books. Yeah, and you're like. That would never happen. <laughs> I can't remember. It was on a podcast I was listening to a while ago, but someone had joked that, like, in, like, America, like, someone would have to pour, like, hot sauce on the book and eat it <laughs> for it to be, like, a TV show reviewing books. And also, there's a bit in the movie where um, he comes home one day, takes a sleeping pill, and just crawls into bed in his clothes. <laughs> um, which I feel like doing every day. Yeah, especially um, these days. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's a good, it's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely check it out. And I think we, when we were in college, there one of our essay questions was: "Cachet is the best movie of the twenty first century." Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> That's the prestige yeah, level it's yeah. at. Um, I might talk about certified copy. My family lives their own lives, and I live mine. What kind of philosophy is that? You like it? You drink it. She mistook you for my husband. I didn't correct her. Oh, really? Yeah, Surfer Copy was this um, movie which I had on my shelf. I think I, I uh, my dad had watched it. He was a big, he um, is a big fan of Abbas Kiristami, had bought it. I'd had it on my shelf and had it sat there for two years. And then when we had the Banasha, I was like, oh, I'm going to pop this on. <laughs> um, yeah, she won Best Actress at Cannes for this. And she stars as this unnamed French antiques dealer who spends the day with this British writer in Tuscany. And he's written a book titled Certified Copy, which argues that in art, issues of authenticity are irrelevant because every reproduction is itself an original. And even the original is a copy of another form. And he cites Mona Lisa as an example of the painting. Uh, saying that the you know the painting hanging in the Louvre is only a copy of the muse's smile, mm. so so and it's this sort of like walking and talking movie. Mark Kermode described it as Richard Linklater's before sunrise movies, but with A levels. Um, in that, it's just these it's two pretty people wandering around Italy discussing art, and yeah, it's this uh, acclaimed Iranian filmmaker Abbas Kiristami directs, and in these long takes, he gives Benoche and her co-star William Chamel, who apparently comes from a, an opera background, and he has sort of a Jeremy Ironsy type mm. vibe. Uh, a lot of space in these wide open locations to act while always having them like beautifully composed in the frame and it's DOP is Luca Bigazzi who's Pella Sorrentino's guy you know like so the great beauty the young pope so that's why it looks so bellissimo (laughs) and um, but then like about halfway through the movie it starts to pull the rug out from under viewers like we begin to piece together that Benash and the writer are not actually meeting for the first time and the, the movie comes increasingly less naturalistic and more like metaphysical mm. you know um, and it kind of applies the writer's thoughts about art to their identities and uh, I, I did enjoy the movie and I, I, I know there are people who adore it I wouldn't go that far it's one of those movies where you never really feel like you're on terra firma with mm. it because it's so metaphorical and symbolic and it doesn't really ever coalesce with the clarity you wanted to like it's one of those art house movies but that also is what leaves it lingering in yeah. your head for days after watching. And I do think that like the more a film tries to make an academic point, the less your heart goes with it. And I sort of did wish the movie was, you know, wasn't fighting being a romantic drama with these two actors, you know, in stunning yeah, locales. Yeah. But it is a really good showcase for Benash, um, because it's not necessarily a showy big performance in that there isn't a lot of tears or shouting, but because it, it's a quiet enough movie. Yeah. But it is showing the full extent of her prowess like she's speaking fluently in italian french and english dipping like effortlessly between yeah. you know the three and like one scene 
she's delivering pages of dialogue while she drives down this like crowded cramped italian village you know area yeah. or she wanders through a piazza and the scene just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling and they're just delivering like reams of dialogue and you're like this is like insane yeah it's like theater yeah and um yeah as the movie goes on it's sort of the movie sort of reveals itself to be uh what peter bradshaw called a deconstructed portrait of a marriage which i think is a good description yeah. of it and uh yeah so basically over one day we get an impression of what this couple were like when they first met and you know then after 15 years of life and marriage and I think that must be an incredibly hard thing to do as an actor like especially when you're doing these long unbroken scenes uh, not always in a native tongue to convey all that yeah. for the audience to and to track those subtle changes in personality and identity from just scene to scene and i think while i wish the movie was a bit more clear as a whole i actually found Binoche's performance the element of the movie the most rich to dissect and kind of the key to understanding the movie and what kiristami was doing if that makes sense but uh it's an odd movie but it's like an interesting one and i'm sure cinephiles uh, that listen who are into more like highbrow art house experimental mm. neorealist cinema uh, certified cinema yeah they'll they'll dig certified copy and it's certainly a change of pace for us after watching um you know the last samurai <laughs> <laughs> braveheart um yeah so will we, we do courtesies maria yeah i owe everything to him he asked me to join him in sils maria where he lives for part of the year in the play you all know, Maloya Snake, he gave me everything I needed to build a career on. My career. Maria Enders! Julia Panache plays Maria Enders, a French actress full of insecurities. It was a film written and directed by Olivier Assayas. More importantly, his first collaboration with Kristen Stewart, who would later oh, yes. go on to make his masterpiece and her master show, Masterclass in Acting, uh, Personal Shopper. And Kristen Stewart is um, Val, who is Maria's assistant. And Maria's like a superstar, similar to Julia Pinoche. And uh, they are going to the Swiss Alps to um, rehearse for a play Maria did in her youth, um, where she she's about the relationship between a seductive young woman and an older, more vulnerable uh, woman. And Maria played the seductive young woman at the start of her career and is now playing the older more vulnerable woman while yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz is playing the seductive little minx it's really good yeah it's a great movie great movie uh, my I didn't rewatch really it for this my the story I love about Katsu's Maria and Gia Panache specifically is that she took the role in Godzilla because in Clouds of Seas Maria, she plays someone who is famous for being a, in a sort of X-Men type blockbuster. Mm, yeah. But she had never been on a blockbuster. So she kind of wanted the experience of being <laughs> on a blockbuster set yeah, yeah. to impact her character. So yeah. that's why she's in the first scene of Godzilla yeah. before, before being killed. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. I love the scene in Clouds of Seas Maria. And it adds a little to her character where they go to see Chloe Grace Moretz's uh Joanne is, her, is Chloe Grace Moretz's character's name. They go to see Joanne's uh, new blockbuster sci-fi Marvel-esque movie in a, 3D, in a 3D cinema. It's just the two of them bored looking at Chloe Grace Moretz in this stupid wig and fucking latex armor throwing laser beams from her hands. And then later on they're at a bar in a casino and Ju- Julia Pinoche is just laughing in Christian Stewart's <laughs> face about how stupid the movie was. Yeah, it was like they were watching Dark Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just yeah. wish I just wish I could have that same reaction whenever anyone talks to me about a Marvel movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you liked it. 
great yeah. movie. <laughs> great movie, yeah. And also, the clouds of seals Maria look uh, Maria look actually beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the ending of Clouds of Seals Maria which, which is it's a little bit of a twist, right? Are we talking about like the end where it ends in the Alps or in London? Um I was talking about how uh, one character sort of disappears from the movie. Yeah, I to be honest, I think I'll spend many many more years of my life still trying to figure that out. Like it could be a projection from Maria's head or it could be, you know, something that happened in real life and Maria just was like, hmm, better forget about this and go to London to rehearse for my play. So I don't know. And I think the movie is better for me not knowing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... That's great. Uh, That's a good answer. Yeah, I think it's uh, very good, much like Personal Shopper, um, uh, being enigmatic. Mm. It's also because the Susan Maria seems like a good... So, sort of bow on Benoche's career because I feel like one of the movies that she got her big break on was written by Olivia Assayas mm. and so it's interesting that she is in Clouds of Susan where she's playing an aging actress yeah. which is directed by kind of one of the persons who helped give her a big break yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really great you know yeah. Yeah. yeah will we jump into Let's Sunshine in? sure yeah I reviewed Lots of Sunshine in for Headstuff when it played at the IFI's French Film Festival, I think, two or three years ago. Yeah, I really, I really liked Lots of Sunshine in. I know, I don't know if you did as much. I'm a little bit mixed on it. I feel like if the movie had a bit less focus on Juliette Binoche and focused more on some of the men, definitely some of the men she meets later on in the movie, it would be better. But overall, I found it really relaxing, and I just, I was just very content to. Just follow this woman on her romantic escapades and often failures, and um, like it's it's it slides really well between funny and heartbreaking. But I was never like tense or in suspense when I was watching the movie. It just felt it's like reading one of those books your mom reads called like uh, the maid's lover or something <laughs> like that. You know those ones yeah, that yeah. are like with these well thumbed paperbacks that are just like oh Julie is on holidays in France and meets <laughs> Olivier from Italy. Can they spend two weeks together or will circumstances drive them apart? You know, it's one of those kind of things. But it's so well made that you never see the cracks. Yeah. It's just so funny how fed up she is of um, romance and love, but at the same time still wants it very, very much. And it's rare that you see this kind of film where it's like, because there are like romantic films uh, for older people like in their 60s or 70s or 80s uh, just as there are uh, romantic films for people in their 20s and 30s but it's rare you see that middle aged romance I yeah, think that's yeah that's true yeah so and I think this is why that's another reason why it's good and also that banker character is hilarious oh yeah like the bit where he comes into the apartment with two dozen pink roses and he's like I'm just back from Brazil and I felt like banging you <laughs> he's such an asshole yeah. Uh, I also think Jared to Purdue is very funny. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I love that last scene. Yeah, me too. Uh, like, because for a while, for ages I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if uh, Jared Depardieu came in and he was a, a total asshole, an even bigger asshole than the banker character, and then he shows up and it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. But like, just the banker character coming in like, oh, away, My my issue with the movie is that um, I think Kaido is very good at sort of the romantic look and touch and like the kind of look in someone's eye when they like desire someone else like, yeah she's very yeah, good at yeah. that yeah i missed sort of a, a light touch in the screen but i could have used a lot more humor a lot more yeah uh, i get that yeah i get that as well yeah and it's a little bit sort of 
rom-com with a levels yeah a little bit. yeah and i yeah. feel like it's more too too intellectual yeah a little bit it would have been nice to see like a little bit just dumb it down a little bit yeah and also like maybe show her relationship with her daughter as well yeah that would have been nice but uh, hey what are you gonna do yeah and that's streaming on movie is along with high life which i think we've already talked about high yeah life. we've touched on it before yeah, yeah. in our mm-hmm. mia goth episode and yeah. we talked a bit about we've talked about, character. Quite a bit about julia benosh in that as dr well, yeah. dibs yeah dr dibs what a freak yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm going to talk about uh two movies that are on movie uh together uh slack bay and camille claudel 1915 and they're both directed by um Bruno Dumont, although they're very different, um, he's this acclaimed, divisive, arthouse French director. He's someone who likes to meld realism with the avant-garde. He's also, you know, been tied to that French extreme cinema wave of the 2000s. And he has, his movies have been called Miserablest <laughs> and <laughs> have titles like The Life of Jesus and oh. Humanity. Um, I'll start by briefly talking about Salak Bay, this comedy I guess, <laughs> about uh, various happenings in a French seaside town in the 20th century. There's this uh, bumbling, rich idiot family who've literally bred with each other to preserve their wealth, represented by Fabrice Lucchini and Julia Pinoche, and they come to stay in the area. There are also these kind of coarse, impoverished, uneducated locals who kidnap the rich who visit the area and uh, kill them for food. <laughs> Then there are these two. You kind of like yawn. I brought a cannibalism and incest already. I was yawning already, and it was that that made me laugh. <laughs> um, there's then there's these two detectives investigating the disappearances who are so full of hot air. One of them at one point takes off into the air like a balloon. <laughs> um, and it's, like, it's a movie not without interest, and I'm, I'm sure people more well versed in Dumont's Uber will probably get more out of it than I did. I, it was my it was my first foray yeah. into his <laughs> filmography. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's his first comedy, and but it still has a lot of the darkness that he's made his name with. Uh, the AV Club set of the movie, the simplistic moral, is one that Dumont never tires of repeating. Narrow-mindedness can turn people viciously cruel, but at least this time he has some fun with it. I personally could have had some more fun, um, because to me, the movie feels, in its comedy, weirdly broad. Like, there's a lot of, like, people falling over and speaking in silly voices. and then But then there's also these, like, very dark touches of, like, incest and cannibalism. And <laughs> the sides don't really work together and so the movie's over two hours long and it never does that thing that like tv shows like succession or movies like the death of stalin do where you you know you watch these characters who are very unlikable but you're very compelled by them i was i was just kind of a bit annoyed by them like they got on my nerves but it might be worth watching just for how kind of weird banosh is in the movie (laughs) she's playing uh someone really unlike any of her other characters she's like this over-the-top parody of like a florence foster jenkins upper class you know diva like mm. the whole performance is like ooh, <laughs> and like there's a scene at the end of the movie where she's like mocking her brother behind him as he's making this sort of pompous speech and she's just copying what he says but in like a silly voice yeah, like a kid yeah. but it's so funny <laughs> it's it's a moment where it's cool to see Banash let loose after playing so many intense roles like what i'm going to talk about next that said i kind of wish the film as a whole was better and yeah. more into you know I that you, kind yeah. of vibe uh, much stronger is Camille Claudel 1915 the other Dumont movie and this centers on um, the title of French sculptor played by Benoche and yeah after this like brilliant scandalous career in 1913 she was sent by her family to a psychiatric clinic after appearing mentally ill she exhibited signs of paranoia and was diagnosed as having schizophrenia she also thought her ex was leading a conspiracy to poison her that said she was often clear-headed when working on her art and her admission form said she had been voluntarily committed to the clinic, although her admission was signed only by her doctor and her brother. 
uh, beloved writer uh, called Paul Cladell. And apparently doctors, after a few years, tried to convince Paul and their mother that Camille did not need to be in the institution, but they still kept her there. So it's it's still a contested issue to this day, exactly yeah. how ill Claudel was or whether her family was right to keep her locked up. And so the film explores uh, three days in Claudel's life in 1915 as she awaits a visit from her brother. And uh, DeMont is sort of taken the side that this is a story of wrongdoing and female oppression. Like there's this successful woman artist suffering unnecessarily at the hands of her also successful male brother. And uh, it also doesn't really shy away from her mental health issues that led her to being committed. But it just it kind of argues that locking her away in a place where she can't work and with patients who are a lot with a lot more severe problems yeah. than her is just going to make her worse. And DuMont actually cast real life patients and doctors of the of a, a real um, psychiatric hospital to play themselves in a 20th century context, something which felt a little exploitative yeah. to me, <laughs> but does further emphasize that idea of Binoche's Claudel not belonging there. Yeah. And it's a bit like ScarJo in Under the Skin, mm. you know, being in Scotland, you're like, what? This is just something... Yeah, yeah. So alien. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she's really heartbreaking. This There's this like stunning scene where... On a woodland walk, she like picks up some mud and she tries to make like a little sculpture, but she just can't do it. Mm. And she just like you see in like a completely wordless scene, like her eyes just well up with tears and her getting angry and just like throwing the mud on the ground. And you're like, oh, you feel so bad for yeah. her. And there's this other, there's another scene on the other end of the spectrum where I think it's like a four minute unbroken like mid close up on her face where she goes in for a meeting with her doctor and the, the doctor is saying to her, how are you feeling? And she's saying like terrible being here like it's like being in prison but without a lawyer like i'm being denied my basic human rights i'm like my family have abandoned me all this stuff and she keeps on talking talking and she keeps on like getting more and more upset in the moment but then she starts talking about the boyfriend and the conspiracy and all this stuff and it's kind of like her, her sort of delusions pop up into yeah, the scene yeah. and it's sort of all the doctor takes away from it yeah, at the end yeah. he's like but you thought you haven't been seeing that man in 20 years we'll see you next week. And you, he doesn't listen to all the yeah, other things yeah. that she said in the scene. And it's so like frustrating. You just want to shake and be like, yeah, listen yeah. to her. <laughs> I think what's really good about the movie is that she's depicting someone who's unwell and who kind of can't get out of their own way and someone who kind of contradicts themselves. Yet she never lets those elements that make her feel complex and like a real person affect the audience's sympathies with her. Like we always feel for her deeply and you know understand her pain. Yeah, you know, in a really cool way. So, like, that's a very good movie to watch. That's ninety-five minutes. Ooh. So, if you like ninety-five minutes of just misery, <laughs> check it out. It was, it was. I thought it was gripping. Um, <laughs> will we talk about uh, Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, sure. We let, let's leave him on a, you leave know, him on a on a high. Yeah. Uh, well, no, it's not a high. How do you know what's a glitch and what's me? The glitches have a different texture to the rest of your code. I can see everything. All of your thoughts, your decisions. Well, I was going to say, I, I kind of like this movie, although I've never seen the original anime. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, there you go. It's the problem, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, she plays Dr. Ule, the scientist behind the creation of Major Motoko Kusanagi, who's Scarlett Johansson. That's a problem right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem right there, yeah. Basically Blade Runner light. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's set in the future, futuristic world, uh, or the near future, even the 2030s, I think. Scarlett Johansson is a presumably Western in the movie because uh, she has a uh, an American name, but uh, is playing like an originally Japanese character. 
But yeah, her body is destroyed in a terrorist attack and she's put her brain is put into a brand new cybernetic body. But she maintains, obviously, her mind and intelligence as well as her soul or her ghost, which now resides in a shell. Metaphor's not that hard. Um, <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not. Look it up. <laughs> um, and Dr. Ule is kind of like the Dr. Frankenstein in this scenario where she creates the body and puts the brain into it but is left kind of feeling a little guilty over what she's what she's created because instead of like being used to further humankind in a positive direction she is basically made into a weapon of war and is used to fight crime across wherever this movie is set i presume in tokyo in the 2030s but it's not very clear because it's full of americans and british people and the only japanese person in the cast is takeshi kitano who's so good in the he's movie. Really just great good, to see yeah. him pop up just great to see him yeah. Just great to see him. Yeah. Uh I yeah, I went to see this in cinema and I remember being very impressed with the design of the movie. Yeah. Even though it's it is probably just like a shot for shot copy of the anime. I was impressed at it being like physically yeah. you know, like a tangibly yeah, recreated. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was sad. <laughs> like I was like surprised to how like melancholy it was. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Some of the set pieces are good too. Yeah, I don't know. I knew I was watching um this for the podcast and I decided oh this is a great time to revisit the original ghost in the shell and i was like oh wow this is still blowing my mind yeah. uh, however many 25 years i think it's the 20 25th anniversary this year head stuff article coming soon <laughs> um and i think the remake just doesn't compare i think the story and the characters are just very boring and i think parts of the design look quite ugly in comparison to the anime but i think i think it is a well-designed film and i do think it looks good even if it's you know, basically shit on the shoe of the original. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's everything we want to talk about. But not, she got, she's got so many movies. It's one it's of so the, hard to, to pick. Yeah, it just goes from strength to strength. She's yeah. uh, unbelievable actress. She's, she's up there with the greats, like she's Meryl, Meryl Streep of France. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, we leave it there. Yeah, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section, where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. Yeah, you can find me over at the Headstuff uh, film section where we have written about uh, the best films of the year and also the best TV of the year. On that, I'll see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.